Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. The conflict between Muslims and Christians has been extreme and vast for many years. So how does it work to have a family where the father is a Muslim and the son is a Christian? Another matchup that doesn't always work too well is science and Christian faith. Well, Dr. Fazal Rana is the son of a Muslim. He's also a biochemist. But he believes the most important thing he could do as a scientist is communicate with sceptics and believers, telling them about the powerful scientific evidence for God's existence and the reliability of Scripture. Dr. Rana is the Executive Vice President of Research and Apologetics, a ministry dedicated to the promotion and defence of the Christian gospel, doctrine and theology. Dr. Rana now speaks around the world about science and faith, and he's visiting Australia as a keynote speaker with Reasons to Believe, a place where you can go and dialogue about science and faith. Dr. Rana, welcome to Open House. Well, thank you for having me so much. Great privilege to meet you. Tell us about research and apologetics. It's about analyzing religions, ideas, and promoting the Christian faith. What sparked your interest in that? Yeah, well, apologetics is about providing reasons for the Christian faith. And um, uh, my father died as a non-Christian. He died as a Muslim. And uh, even though I had been a Christian for a number of years, I just simply was unable to reach him with the gospel. I was unable to convince him of the rational basis for the Christian faith. And uh, I watched helplessly, in a sense, as he died. And I realized then that really this is a serious business to be a Christian, that there is an obligation that we have as Christians, not only to follow the teaching of Christ, but to be ambassadors for the faith and to be effective at reaching people, again, with the gospel. What were the blockages for him, would you say? Uh, well, um, he was a, a rather brilliant person. He was a PhD in nuclear physics, and he was also deeply committed to Islam. So he was intrinsically biased against the Christian faith. And so, you know, being uh, uh, his son and, you know, Jeez. the father-son relationship. Too close. Yeah, it was yes. very difficult for me to to uh, convince him and for him to treat much of what I had to say with seriousness. But I also didn't have very good reasons that I could bring to the table other than I just simply believe that this is true, you know, and, and so I wasn't really able to go toe to toe with him and address his concerns on, a, on an intellectual basis. So is it purely an intellectual thing? Because it's quite an interesting issue. The whole business of apologetics, communicating Christian faith, is it just in what we say? Well, you know, I, I would actually, you know, I think that's a great question. And I would actually say that it's both a combination of reasons and uh, ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit, if you will, yes. that, uh, you know, but reasons are very important because there are people who are seekers who genuinely are open to the Christian faith, but they are certain questions that they have that are nagging questions. And if you can address those questions, provide them with reasons, it helps them over the hump. There are other people who have deep-seated emotional issues, or there's other issues that are keeping them from the faith, but they erect an intellectual veneer that they hide behind. And so if you can remove that intellectual wall, then you can actually deal with the, the real issues that are keeping them from faith in Christ. How much of a role does the life we live play? Oh, I think that plays a huge role as well. So it's, you know, uh, the the message that we have to, pro, you know, to provide people, it's the the reasons that we have, it is the example that we we live as well. 
Uh, it's the relationship that we have with people. And so, and, and of course, ultimately the Holy Spirit, I would argue, is working through all of that. So it's not just, it's not an either or situation. It's a both and situation. Yes. Growing up with a deeply devoted dad as you did, did you believe in Islam as a boy? Um, that's a, a, uh, a good question. I don't think I ever really embraced Islam in any way, shape or form. And partly it was because, uh, my father was a Muslim, but my mom came from a Catholic background and they kind of agreed to disagree when it came to religion. And so the net effect is that when we grew up in the household, uh, we really were not instructed in any, in, in any kind of religious sense whatsoever. We were kind of left on our own to figure it out. So the question of God wasn't really of central importance to me growing up. Uh, when I was a teenager, I did dabble for a very brief period of time with Islam. I think I was more interested in trying to come to terms with my heritage, you know, and so I spent a short period of time doing a, exploring Islam, but very quickly uh, gave up on it for a number of reasons. One, reading the Quran to me was a very difficult exercise. It's highly esoteric and 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 not very clear, but also the things that I was learning to do in terms of the practice uh, of, of being a Muslim were rather uh, tedious and, and almost burdensome. Uh, and for an, a Muslim, prayer is an obligation. It's not an opportunity to connect to the creator of the universe. With your role now, do you look back and find it somewhat curious that your father didn't do more to proselytize you two? Yeah, yeah, I do find that curious uh, because... When I did become a Christian, he was extremely upset with me for, for doing so. Part of it is that he viewed that as me uh, essentially uh, walking away from my heritage because in the Muslim mindset that if your father is a Muslim, then you're a Muslim as a son. And so when you give that up, you're essentially saying, I'm giving up my whole uh, family heritage in a sense. It's a very cultural thing as well, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yes. Exactly. But he was, he was very upset with me and his anger towards me continued till in a sense the day that he died. So our relationship was never the same after my conversion to the Christian faith. How did that happen? I was a graduate student studying biochemistry and as an undergraduate, I, I fell in love with biology and with chemistry and decided I wanted to get a PhD in biochemistry and as an undergraduate, I, I thoroughly embraced the evolutionary paradigm, you know, the idea that life's origin and life's history stems through the outworkings of evolutionary processes. But as a graduate student, I came face to face with the complexity of, of the, the chemical systems inside the cell and also began to appreciate their elegance, their beauty, their sophistication, their cleverness. And to me, it seemed as if there was really a mind that was responsible for life and that then in turn led me to uh, begin to ask questions like, who is that creator or what is that creator? And it was through a pastor's challenge uh, that I uh, picked up a copy of the Bible and began to read through it seriously as a 23-year-old uh, for the first time in my life. And it was reading through the Gospel of Matthew and particularly the Sermon on the Mount that I became convinced of my sin, but also... Uh, came to the recognition that Jesus must be indeed who Christians claim him to be. I mean, I would argue that this was the Holy Spirit revealing the person of Christ to me through the pages of Scripture. So it was, in a sense, God revealed in the record of nature through the design that you see in biochemistry, but then it was uh, ultimately encountering Christ through the pages of Scripture that drew me into that relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm sure you've worked through this question. 
So then if God was able to arrest you like that and the work of the Holy Spirit was able to infuse your life like that, why didn't God do that with your dad? <laughs> That's a question that, you know, I, I, I ask over and over again. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really know the answer to that question. And the way I I deal with that is to say that God is a God of justice and God is a God of love and that I have absolute trust in his plan and his purpose and how he works. Interestingly enough, while my father, to all, to my knowledge, died as a Muslim, uh, my mom uh, came to faith in Christ uh, several years after my father's death. Uh, so, um, you know, there's a, an upside to the story as well, I suppose. But, you know, in a sense, um, there are certain questions I think that we may never know the answer to. And Oftentimes, I think when we ask the why question, we're asking the wrong question. I think maybe the question is, God, how are you at work in this situation? And what are you doing? Uh, is and maybe what an, will you do? And what will future? you do? Those yes. may be more important questions to ask than, yes. than the why question. On Open House, we're with Dr. Fazal Rana, the Executive Vice President of Research and Apologetics. A large number of scientists are skeptical about Christian faith or hostile or atheistic. How is it different for you as a biochemist then? Well, um, you know, I, I go back to what the, what Scripture teaches us, and it teaches us that not only is Scripture itself a reliable revelation of, of who God is and his, his will and his purposes, but that Scripture teaches us that through the record of nature, we also see God revealed. This is referred to by theologians as general revelation. And if that's the case, then we as Christians should expect to see, in a sense, a harmony between science, which is the study of God's creation, and what Scripture teaches us. And when you adopt that orientation, what you see is that there is evidence for God's fingerprints all around us, whether you're looking at the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset, or whether you're looking at the intricacies of the molecules that make up life at its fundamental level. Biochemical systems are unbelievably beautiful. They are absolutely awe-inspiring systems. And in fact, uh, even scientists who are skeptics, uh, Richard Dawkins, for example, has said uh, that biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Yes. So even he acknowledges that the first reaction you have when you look at life, when you look at biochemical systems specifically, is that these systems really are designed. It does come down to ultimately a matter of faith, though, doesn't it? So there's a difference between you and Dawkins. It depends on what you put your faith in. Yes, exactly. And and I think it's a question of, of worldview and philosophical assumptions as well. If you are operating uh, within the, the philosophical framework of science, which basically says you can't appeal to the, to a creator to explain the universe or in, phenomena in the universe like life, then even though you see this elegant design, you have no choice philosophically but to say, somehow I have to explain it apart from a creator. Uh, but as a Christian who believes that there is a creator that brought the universe and life into existence, when I see that evidence for design, I can follow it to its logical conclusion, which is that there is ultimately a mind that we would say the God of the Bible that's behind it. Uh, and, and so I would argue that faith is something that we embrace based on evidence at hand. Paul writes to the church at Corinth that uh, we have evidence that Jesus rose from the dead and he could point to eyewitnesses. 
And so the faith that Paul is encouraging the, the church at Corinth to exercise is in the person of Christ, and that his work on the cross was sufficient for our salvation. Uh, and I would argue that likewise, we have very good evidence that there is a creator that brought the universe into existence, uh, that there is a creator that brought life into existence. And so when we go the next step and say that I believe it's the God of the Bible, it's a totally rational thing to do. But it, again, there is a step of faith that you have yes, to take. Yes, that's right. That's probably my point, that it's not proof. It's faith. So it exactly for everyone, no matter how smart they are, as a person like you, they have to come to a point of saying, well, on the balance of everything, I'm prepared to trust this and take that step. And Th that's see, exactly see right. I, I, would, I would agree with that, yes. Yeah. There, there is a, the step of faith that you do have to take. In terms of communicating this to the world, you say that this business really wasn't important to you until your dad died. Yes, that's right. That That's a sad thing to admit to. Yes. But I think there's a lot of Christians who are in that boat as well. I am. You know, and 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 I think part of it is, be, um, you know, it's being a Christian and just living life in general, but is, is a difficult enterprise. There's so many things that consume our attention on a day in and a day out basis. Very important things, uh, you know, and we're trying to make it, you know, through each day. And, um, and, and to do evangelism requires, too, that you maybe not have so much confidence in your faith. I think a lot of Christians are confident in their faith, but you have to be confident in your ability to answer the difficult questions that you know people are going to ask. Uh, you have to be willing, I think, to maybe be um, ridiculed and criticized a little bit. And that's, that's a difficult thing for people to put themselves in that position. But when I realized that, that there was something far more important than my comfort at stake, and that was the, the eternal destiny of people that I loved, that I cared for, that were friends and family members, uh, I realized that being uncomfortable is worth it because uh, my discomfort is really minimal compared to what those people will suffer if nobody is willing to share with them the Christian faith. And, and yet talk, it often comes to my mind, is cheap. And that's where it has to have the credibility and the authenticity of a transformed life, really. That's right. You know, it's interesting. First Peter 3.15 is the passage that everybody likes to point to when they do apologetics. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. That's when they insert a full yeah, stop. But the next yes. part of that verse is really very difficult totally. to live out. Yes. And that is with gentleness, respect, and a clear conscience. Yep. And so if no matter how effective your argument may be, or you think your argument may be, if you're obnoxious, if you show disrespect, if your life doesn't communicate a consistent message to the arguments that you're presenting, you're going to get, you're not going to get anywhere. And it's really the gentleness and respect that is the most important thing when we're communicating the Christian faith. And that'll often be done one-on-one -on -one in it, relationship over a long period of time. It, it will be. Uh, I, I would fully agree that relationships are very important because, again, part of my story in terms of how I came to faith in Christ is that there were people who loved me, that were surrounding me, who were Christians, who were encouraging me um, in, in, in the final steps of my journey to faith. And so it was a safe environment to explore uh, the, the, the teachings of, the, of the, the Bible. Is it a more challenging task in this day and age with communication as it is, with the way the Christian faith has been communicated in the last, say, 20 years, and the behavior of many in the church? has not been something to 
follow. Yes, I mean it's it's you know there's a lot of stereotyping that we have and and genuine baggage that's associated with the Christian faith that that is you know legitimate on the part of skeptics to point to yes. that we have to overcome. But that's again why this idea of doing it with gentleness and respect is so important. But also this is a very exciting time as well because. Uh, I'm noting that there are discoveries that are happening literally on a daily basis that add to the weight of evidence for the Christian faith. There's so many discoveries that are being made in science, and oftentimes people perceive these discoveries as supporting the evolutionary paradigm. But when you understand how to think about those discoveries properly, you see that these discoveries are actually pointing to the existence of a creator. So it's also very exciting. We have more evidence at our fingertips that we can rely upon to build a case for the Christian faith than we ever have. As a biochemist, how do you view the theory of evolution? Oh, I'm deeply skeptical of the evolutionary paradigm. And again, that was part of what brought me to faith in Christ was not only seeing the design in biochemical systems, but recognizing that uh, evolutionary mechanisms could not generate the very first life forms. This is called the origin of life, that those models are totally bankrupt. And this was 25 years ago when I came to that conviction. And over the last couple of decades, the more that people have studied the original life question, the more profound the problems are for the evolutionary paradigm. And likewise, in the last couple of decades, the more we've studied about the cell's chemistry, the more evidence for design that we see that's just absolutely mind-boggling. So the case has become stronger today than it was 25 years ago when I saw the evidence pointing to a creator. Is there one particular part of your biochemistry, even a microscopic part, that just thrills you when you stand back and say, look at that. That is the thing that really well, hits I mean, my button you know, and floats my butt. <laughs> From beginning to end, biochemistry thrills me. <laughs> Great but, stuff. But, but one of the things that's, I think, easy for a layperson to grasp that, again, is mind-boggling, and this is the fact that there are these protein complexes inside the cell, and, and proteins are these large molecules that carry out different activities inside the cell. But there are these massive protein complexes that literally are molecular-level machines that look like the machines that we would build, that operate just like the machines that we would build. And these things are, are, are replete with rotors and stators and drive shafts and bushings and universal joints. They operate at a nearly 100% efficiency. When you look at how the cell manufactures these, these machines, it's, it's essentially an assembly line manufacturing operation, again, that, ha that is replete with quality control mechanisms. If you were an engineer and you wanted to design a, a motor, it would be you'd be hard pressed to design a motor that is better than the, the motors that we see throughout the cell. And if you wanted to design an assembly line process that was better than what you saw in the cell, again, you'd be hard pressed to do it. And, and, and this is just the, the tip of the iceberg. There's just so much in the cell's chemistry that is eerie in terms of its similarity to man-made designs. Uh, that it it not only suggests the work of a designer, but that there's some kind of resonance between the human mind and the, the divine mind, which I believe can be explained through the, the image of God. You've thrilled my mind and vastly <laughs> expanded, and I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, Dr. Fuzzle Rana. Thank you so much for joining us on Open House. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And we'll put the Reasons to Believe website up on our Open House community Facebook page. We hope you enjoyed this open house podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.